Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. If you need a copy of God's Word, please put a hand up and a volunteer is going to bring you a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take it home. How cool is that? We're going to be in verses 6 through 8 of Acts 1, page 905 in the hardback. Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Oh, sorry, I pressed a button. I will turn there as well. Let me talk briefly about giving while we're getting situated. Um, <clears throat> I don't often take this moment. I usually try to do thank yous, but I also, I think I've probably been neglectful in doing a little bit of teaching. Some of you guys have been following Jesus longer than I've been on planet Earth. And I'm aware of that, and so I don't often just go into Scripture and say, hey, here's where Scripture says we should give. You guys know that. Some of you could have easily been my Sunday school teacher in 1989. But I forget that some of you uh, have been following Jesus a shorter period of time. And so I just want to very quickly point out something very cool, beautiful, powerful in rebuke. Anybody here enjoy being rebuked? No? Okay. Well, then I'm going to tell you briefly about Malachi chapter 1, where somebody else got rebuked, and so you and I don't have to be offended. How does that sound? 400 years before Jesus came, God had to say through the prophet Malachi to Israel, hey, um, why are you bringing me lambs with defects? Why, the, the temple system was set up and they were supposed to give a perfect lamb as their offering. Why are you giving me the worst and the least and the broken from your flock when I've expressly commanded that you bring your best? And he says something crazy um, in, in dynamic equivalents, like New Living Translation, says, try giving gifts like that to your governor. We, we don't think of that. We, we don't pay huge taxes to a local governor like Pontius Pilate. But I was uh, in my early 20s and Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor when I first read that verse in the New Living. And I just thought, oh my goodness. If we had to walk into the Capitol and there's the governor, and he can fire from the hip and there is no, no uh, kickback somehow. This, this strong, if you were gonna come and bring him a gift, what kind of a gift would you bring? So the rebuke of Malachi 1 is this, hey, if your gift is the very best of what you have to offer, isn't that an indication of your heart, right? You don't give your spouse your leftovers, Right? You don't give your child your leftovers. You don't give your best friend your leftovers. Right? So I just want to encourage you, if you don't already know the Bible teaching, part of what giving to God through your finances, it's actually not that God needs your money. I hope you know that. We write our check to God first because that requires faith. Giving of my leftovers does not require faith, so it does not grow my faith. Does that make sense? And I'm not talking, if you're in abject poverty right now, job loss, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about normal, even keel, things are halfway okay. We give to God first, and the other 90% we trust with how he's going to pay the bills. 
okay? When a Christian fully embraces that every drop of our life belongs to God, those are God's bills. Okay, Lord, how are you gonna pay the bills this month? Right? Just as much as going to work. Lord, it's your job. How can I glorify you in my job? Lord, it's your paycheck. What are you gonna do with it? So, my encouragement to you. Our sermon series is called The Spirit in You. We're going through the book of Acts and we're asking ourselves, what does the continuing ministry of Jesus look like? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, I, I tried to establish, and you're gonna hear it a thousand more times, that the Holy Spirit coming into the church 2,000 years ago and empowering us to this day toward love and good works, it makes the church the hands of Jesus, our actions, but also the voice of Jesus, proclaiming who Christ was and is, what he accomplished on the cross, what he accomplished on Easter morning. Uh, we're today gonna be talking about the image of a road trip. What would it look like if Jesus Christ took a bunch of people on a road trip, but he knew perfectly well that he needed to give us a pep talk in a few categories before we got in the car, right? Those of you who are, who, raise your hand if you are the planner, detailed person. If there's a road trip, you're gonna have to plan everything before you get in the car. So we're, it's, they're all sitting on this side. I wonder if there's something to that. So I want you to introduce yourself to a couple of folks. No, I'm gonna read the text and then I'm gonna do the discussion question. Uh, verses six through eight, read with me. Our brother Luke wrote down this history of the early church about 2,000 years ago. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, teach us this text that we might obey it joyfully. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, introduce yourself to a couple of people and answer this question. What's the most important thing you've ever left at home before going on a trip? What's the most important thing you've ever left at home? Say hi to a couple of folks. All right. Note takers, go ahead and grab your pens. 
Note takers, grab your pens. Glad you guys are making friends, that's good. That's how we build community. Grab your pens. First thing I want us to draw out of verse six. By the way, to those of you who are astute, I'm about to do you really dirty. I'm preaching an entire sermon out of just verse six because verse six is so loaded. We'll get to, really get to verses seven and eight next week. Sometimes a Christian's focus is wrongly placed on God's business instead of their own business. You can say amen or you can say ouch. If you say ouch, it means, oh, I felt that. Yeah, guilty as charged. If you are a Christian, if you're a person who loves Jesus Christ and has too often worried themselves with what God is up to, and, and, and really, not what he's up to, but what is he doing? Is he doing it right? Right? Okay. When we don't sleep enough, we're doing this. I'm staying up late and I'm getting early because God might have trouble running his world. Right? When I don't take a day off, I'm about my father's business in the bad sense of the word, not the way Jesus said it when he was 13. Does the Almighty need us to worry about whether he is doing his job? But what, what do they say in verse six? And we all do it, so just breathe out. Okay, we all do it. No judgment zone here. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, I grew up uh, with my Bible teachers gently poking fun at the apostles for this question. As I studied this week, I realized this question's way more logical than I thought. And those of you with paper notes, you already have this written down in front of you. All of the prophets had said over and over again about Messiah, they had shown something very clear about a national restoration, along with talking about sin being defeated. We see texts now on this side of the cross, and it seems really clear to us, oh, Jesus is going to come twice. The first time he defeats sin on the cross, but the final judgment of Satan's sin and death and rolling back every dark thing in the world, that happens a second time. But if we are really honest, and I hope you have been or that you'll try it, go into the Old Testament literature that talks about Messiah and try to suspend everything that you know about Jesus. Try to suspend the entire New Testament and go, would I have been able to figure out that Messiah was coming twice looking at this? Our brother C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery, where we look back at people and go, oh, silly ancients. We, 21st century, we're so proud of our iPhones and all these cool things that frankly we didn't build. All we did was buy it. The pyramids at Giza stood for a thousand years before Joseph was taken into slavery to go there. Do you, you know how to build a pyramid? I sure don't. No idea, no idea. I lost my train of thought. Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. Oh, micromanaging God. Uh, I, want to, I want to imagine with me, and this is just Greg's imagination. You, when, when Greg says something, we measure it against scripture, amen? amen? That's what the Bereans do. We don't care what the Bible teacher says. We care if the Bible is speaking you know, accurately through that Bible teacher. I want you to imagine Jesus saying it this way. Before this journey, we're gonna go on a road trip. I wanna make clear what God will do and what you will do. I wanna define the roles really clearly. Before we get in the car, I wanna define this. Because did you see how he very firmly, he didn't seem to be mad at him, but he very firmly said, 
That's only for the Father to know the dates and times. It's not that you're wrong. It's not that it's a foolish assumption to think that if there's a spiritual restoration, there will also, also be a national restoration. That's not crazy. It's just God's. You and I can say things all the time that are totally true, but they're God's. They're his. Brothers and sisters, we need to just admit out loud, actually, if you're exploring faith, this applies to you too. One of the biggest things that stops our prayer life is that prayer is inherently trusting God to do it. I'm asking him to do his thing and I wanna take control of it. That's why I don't pray. I'm a control freak. No, just me? Okay. So imagine Jesus putting us all, before we get in the car, and he says, look, I just wanna define the terms. We're gonna do a job description. Here's what the risen Christ will do. Here's what the Holy Spirit will do. Here's what the, Holy, what the Father will do. Here is what my spirit-filled church is gonna do. Did you hear that transition? But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. I love that it wasn't a command or a suggestion. It was a statement of what will be. You're not wrong to think that there'll be a national restoration, but that's God's business. You are gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you're gonna be my witnesses. That's your job. So something brutal about social media. I know, only one brutal thing. It feeds our self-deceit. Um, a a 35-year-old dude who can't hold a job, who's still living in mama's basement, can hop on social media and tell the president how to do his job. <laughs> Yay, America. <laughs> and we're exporting it too. Silicon Valley's giving this stuff to the whole planet. Hey, you can tell a CEO how to do his job. You can tell your senator how to do her job. Guys, can we not smell just the slightest scent of how spiritually dangerous that might be? I'm allowed to opine on the same platform as the people who've actually done the work. I'll tell the police how to do their job, tell what the firefighters should have done on the thing on the evening news, because I'm so wise. I, you guys, some of you guys know I never finished college, but it's not true. I have an honorary master's degree in telling God how he should have done it. <laughs> We're going to study as we move through the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the leaders of the church get together to have a meeting to figure out if God's allowed to do what God just did. So we're in good company. Is God allowed to do that? I don't know. Your next step, your action point, jot this one down if you're a note taker right on the margins. Refuse to worry about God-sized things. Get to your assignment right away. Refuse to worry about God-sized things. Because if I am, I'm just expressing my lack of trust in God's ability to handle it, right? Get to your assignment right away. That's 
I believe, essentially what Jesus is saying in this text. Next, sometimes a Christian's vision for what God will do is too small. Sometimes a Christian's vision of what God is going to do, it's just a, a vision that's way too small. They say, hey, is, it now is, 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 are you gonna save Israel now? And Jesus, very kindly, he doesn't look down his nose, he doesn't smack him around. He subverts their, he answers their question by subverting it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, who mostly is in Jerusalem, Judea, who's mostly in Judea? Samaria, uh-oh. Half-breeds that we hate, we have religious and ethnic beef with. You're gonna be my witnesses there. And then what does he say? To the ends of the earth. Oh no, there's dirty Gentiles out there. Like white people. I see white people all the time. If you're white, you have no idea how to deal with Peter's reticence. Peter had to have a vision from God to say, hey, the love of God is for non-Jews as well. Be utterly terrifying to them. Jesus subverted their small vision. Hey, are you gonna save Israel now? And by the way, they, again, they weren't wrong. When the Old Testament passages said that Israel's going to be redeemed, Israel's gonna be restored, there were passages, uh, is it the one coming up or am I skipping ahead of myself? Yeah, there were passages like this one. We'll skip Jesus' pretend statement or I'll go back to it. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Trivia time, for those of you good with math and ethnicity, does that sound like it's just ethnic Israel worshiping God? Huh? The earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That's everywhere, isn't that? So that's Brazil. That's Thailand. That's Hawaii. Is that Germany? Is that Costa Rica? And, and also, science question. The simile is as the waters fill the sea. Anybody here been on the sea and found a spot in the sea that didn't have Water. Because of the time in which we were born, we're in the church age. Jesus has not redeemed all things yet. We experience darkness still. And the prophet has said, one day it'll be ubiquitous. Like to exist will to be no, to know God. Anywhere you go, they know and love and revere and cherish God. That'll be normal one day. Anybody hungry for that? Here's what my uh, version of pretend Jesus is saying on this point. Hey, before this journey, understand we're not going to Colfax. We're going all over the world. If you're anything like me, you're not gonna listen to Jesus when he says that. You're gonna fight him like Peter did. Lord, I like Colfax. Colfax has those pretty trees. It's really close by. I can drive there very quickly. Don't have to go by horseback or something scary like that. And the people at their Starbucks are very friendly and efficient. 
I would give God my bullet-pointed reason why Colfax would be the perfect embodiment of the kingdom of God. Let's take the kingdom of God to Colfax, Lord. And his vision? That the knowledge of God would fill the earth as the waters fill the seas. See, for me, it's a big jump to love one person that I don't know. And for Jesus, it is small potatoes to love everybody. That's easy for him. That's who he is. This is my prayer. God, please use me today to do something that does not stretch my faith in any way, that will allow me to stay in my comfort zone and that I can accomplish from my couch. All for your glory. Amen. Anybody ever prayed this one? Maybe Colfax is a part of your individual assignment, right? Is it any human being you can hear, you could be in more than one place at a time? No. Maybe it is your job to glorify God in your workplace in Roseville. Maybe it is your assignment to glorify and represent Christ in your home in Fair Oaks. You can only be in one place at a time, but Jesus is first talking about the you that is plural, you will be my witnesses. Who's the you? His entire church. One or two apostles are not gonna be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. No, his entire church, right? So it's a little bit true. We might want to look at something small, but he first wants to give us a vision of what is big, what he's going to be working on. So I want to ask yourself, uh, when you cry for a cookie, because I'm just skipping the metaphor, but why should I even talk about a child crying for a cookie? Grown-ups do it too. I see it, I want it. What's the cookie stand for, pastor? You know what the cookie stands for. And I throw a fit. A grown-up fit. When you have an actual child, your niece, nephew, grandson, granddaughter, your daughter, they want something and mom says no, or dad says no, or grandma says no, even though we know what's coming next. What is the crux of the conflict? I would argue the crux of the conflict has a lot to do with time. A four-year-old is thinking about right now. There's an immediate dopamine hit and it's round and it just came out of the oven and I want. When a mom or a dad says no to something like that, it's almost certainly has to do with time. Uh, It's almost bed and I don't want you staying up because of the sugar and us having problems later. Uh, I don't want you to be any more addicted to sugar than you already are, and I have a vision for a long, healthy life for you, and so I try to limit your sugar intake. Like moms and dads are trying to be at the 30,000-foot level, right? You're trying to have a vision for where your kid is at at 20 and at 30 and at 40, and you're going, Lord, could you possibly give me the wisdom 
for things that would put them in a place that blesses them in the long term. And how on earth is a four-year-old in the moment gonna go, dad is saying no to a cookie for my blessing? Right? Dad and mom have perspective that I do not have. I'm four, I want it. That's the end of the thought process. And Jesus says, hey, God's objectives in the world are way, way bigger than what you think. I'm glad you want Israel to be saved, but my agenda is just slightly bigger because I love everybody. If you love Jesus, here's your call to action. Pray bigger evangelistic prayers. You know you can't save anybody, right? If you're here today and you're investigating faith, you know you can't save you, right? If you kick the tires of Christianity and you decide it's plausible that you've done morally wrong things and it's plausible that God does want to forgive you and that Jesus is the only one who's ever offered to do so, you pray an evangelistic prayer for yourself. God, save me. That's a prayer. God, save me. If he has already washed your sins away, you ask him to save your family. You ask him to save your coworkers. You ask him to save your classmates. You ask him to save your friends from your hobby group, your friends from college. God, do it. Because our vision of what God has up his sleeve, our vision is too small. It's too small. How are we gonna expand it? You guys, so we'll get to it in the book of Acts, but if you've been around, this, these core values were adopted almost four years ago. And I've only preached one sermon, one on church planting, even though I'm a former church planter. Why? Because the big, scary, audacious goals of gospel multiplication in the dozens of folks in the 50s and in the hundreds, all of that is predicated by individual saints learning how to be a disciple and then through evangelism and prayer, we learn how to replicate disciples. We take baby steps. But where are we going? Entire churches replicating churches is where we go because that's church history. 2,000 years, God's been doing that. When elders know how to train up other, other elders, when women know how to train up other women, when children are learning how to trust God and study the scriptures. All of these are the building blocks of a much bigger kingdom. You and I are working on the small things that have been assigned to us by God and we do so joyfully. One of those pieces is praying for God to do. God, please do the things that you've said only you can do. First Corinthians three says, uh, Paul saying, I threw the seed, Apollos watered it. Only God brings the growth, right? We shared the gospel with somebody. We continue in relationship, helping them to understand the blood of Jesus, understand the cross, understand the empty tomb, and to find Jesus more valuable than anything in the world. Only God could make that seed grow. We ask him to do that. That's how we can take part in a bigger vision, in a kingdom vision. We ask God to save people. Third, 
Sometimes a Christian definition of God's people needs to expand. Sometimes a Christian's definition of God's people needs to expand. And I already walked us through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? Hey, my people are gonna include Gentiles. I just dropped that breadcrumb. I've dropped it actually for hundreds and hundreds of years all the way back to my promise to Abraham. It's gonna be more explicit in a few chapters, but my people are bigger than you think. It's like Jesus was saying this. Before we go on this road trip, understand that we are not looking only for people that look like us and believe what we believe. We are looking for all people everywhere. All people everywhere. From what you know of the four gospels, did Jesus ever run into somebody who had a belief where he just thought, oh no, they believe something different than me. I'm not gonna reveal myself to them. That ever happened? Two of you chuckled out loud right now. Did that intimidate Jesus that he ran into people that believed something different than what he believed? No, but you and I do it all the time. I can't tell them about Jesus. They believe in thus and such religion. Uh Uh-huh, and you don't save people. God saves people through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel proclaimed off your lips. So throw that seed, yo. Throw the seed. You're not trusting God to work with the seed. I'm not trusting God to work with the seed. Throw it. But they have a different philosophy. And let's just stop for a second. Do you and I think that we agreed with God on everything and then we became a Christian? Holy cow! I, have, I agreed with God's sexual ethic. I believe the Bible was true. I, I had all of God's views about money and resources and how to, to care for the poor. I had all of my theological beliefs lined up and in fact, some of my behavior wasn't too bad either. And so Team Jesus picked me in the second round of the draft. (laughs) I'm pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. No, no, no. I I don't mean to brag, but... No, no. I I don't want to brag, but I just need to to be honest. You see, uh, I was born into the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was more zealous in the law than any of you guys. I, I persecuted the church. I was so totally committed to... uh doing for God what I owed him. I, I kept the law better than anybody else around me. And I consider that rubbish for the priceless gain of knowing Christ. That's what Paul said. Guys, Paul was better than you. Morally, he was better than you. You know that, right? He was better than you. Oh, and he murdered Christians, so he was worse than you too. He was worse than you and the cross of Christ was still sufficient enough to save him. He was better than you and he still needed it. People morally better than you needed God to die for them. We are not so good that we don't need God to die for us. We are not so sinful that he can't or won't. Jesus says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, we're looking for people that don't look like you, don't speak the same language as you, don't believe the same as you. You're upset at them because their politics are wrong. They're in bed with Rome and you're the good Jew who would never cooperate with Rome. That's, that's a political view. There's a long history of God showing himself 
of what his intention was for the kingdom of God. I'm running out of time. I'll try to talk faster. Way back when God told us what the temple was gonna look like, there were these, what I wanna call almost concentric circles to show the distance between God and man because of our sin and his holiness. There was a space where only the high priest could go and only once a year and only after crossing, checking a lot of boxes. There was a space bigger than that where the priests could go most of the time. There was a space bigger than that where Jewish men could come to pray. There was a space bigger than that where Jewish women could come to pray. The outermost area, even a non-Jew was allowed to go there to pray to Yahweh. And this had been instituted for well over a millennia before Jesus showed up. Brothers and sisters, you and I are slow on the uptake. God specifically said to have an area for people who ethnically and religiously, it doesn't look like they should have any desire for Yahweh, but Yahweh sees that some will. We forget in the Exodus story that some Egyptians came with Israel. God's been dropping breadcrumbs all along. Ruth was a Moabite. She's not Jewish, right? Jesus and the Samaritan woman, John 4. She's a religious half-breed, an ethnic half-breed, and has given up on any semblance of the concept of marriage. Used, abused, shunned by society. And Jesus just had to go through Samaria. The text says that. Jesus had to go through Samaria. And we know it wasn't a geographical had to, it was a God has a plan had to. And so he reveals himself to a woman who's not the right color and not the right religion. And she, what? Overjoyed, runs into the town that she's been avoiding and says, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? God's been showing us this all along, that the kingdom was bigger than we thought. Or Peter's vision that we're coming up on a number of chapters from now where God takes a bunch of animals that are unclean based on Mosaic law and lowers them in a sheet. And God says, a voice says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter goes, no, Lord, I've never eaten any of the unclean, the non-kosher foods. I would never do that. And this happens three times and God repeats to him, do not call unclean what I have declared clean. You don't get to say they're a different color than me. You don't get to do sexism. God hasn't allowed it. You don't get to do racism in the kingdom of God. God hasn't allowed it. You don't get to say, well, they don't have the right beliefs or the right ethics, so I'm not gonna engage with them. What are you talking about? The church was made for people who are not yet apart. What are you and I talking about? What we're talking about is drag queen story hour. If you wanna play the culture wars, the evening news will always give you something to be upset about. But I wanna ask you a really important question. If Jesus Christ was here in America, in the flesh, and he engaged with Drag Queen Story Hour, what do you think it would look like? 
let's keep in mind that Jesus is morally perfect. He does not sin. So you and I are not gonna have a better approach than him. I wanna submit to you the woman in John 4, five divorces and doesn't even bother marrying the guy she's living with right now, she was the first century Jewish version of the drag queen story hour. My ethics do not line up with the Bible. Yeah, that's called being a human. Welcome. And God is coming and seeking and saving and God's people have got to get God's heart and God's mindset. Holy cow, we think we behaved our way into salvation? Yikes, what a small cross you have. What a small cross you have. What a small cross I have. So your next step is in two parts. If you're exploring faith, you're totally off the hook. This one's for the Christians. Write down your love barriers on the back of your sermon notes, then pray them into oblivion. I'm gonna give you a moment of silence right now. Write notes in your phone, write on the back of your sermon notes. I struggle to love people who? Guys, this is dangerous. Don't do it unless you're serious about doing business with God. No one's gonna read this, so be totally honest with God and yourself. I'm gonna give you 60 seconds. I've done the exercise as well. I struggle to love people who? Jesus, would you please take each man and woman in this room and smash through our love barriers for the glory of your name. Make us a people so marked by your grace and forgiveness but that we can't help share your grace and forgiveness with others. God, we need your help. God, for some in the room today that haven't figured out yet what they think of Jesus, uh, you are the answer to the question. They're struggling to love you because you tell them what to do. And I ask you to help them to see you as a good and benevolent father who gives instructions out of your love, not to spoil our fun. God, I ask you to take the evangelistic culture of foundation and dial it to 11. Make us a people who are overjoyed in our savior. Let us be just one small part of the kingdom expanding from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us join you in what you're doing. The precious name of Jesus, we pray. And Foundation said,